Everyone has questions. Why am I here? Where will I go when I die? Is there really truth? But not everyone has biblical answers. Welcome to The Pastor Study, a ministry of pastorstudy.org. Join us now as we study the Bible to draw closer to our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Here is Pastor Tom Brock. Welcome to The Pastor's Study. If somebody asked you, how would you define the word Christian, what would you say? Well, I'm a Christian because I'm baptized. Or, I'm a Christian because I go to First Lutheran Church. Or, I'm a Christian because I believe in God. Or, I'm a Christian because I believe Jesus died on the cross. Well, how does the Bible define the word Christian? That's what we're going to talk about in this half an hour. Actually, we're going to go right to the source. How did Jesus himself define a Christian? Would you turn to Mark chapter 8, and let's see whether you're a Christian or not. Mark chapter 8, we're going to start at verse 34, but let's pray first. Father, we pray that anyone watching this program who thinks they are a Christian, but they're really not, or for anyone who wonders if there's a Christian, if they are a Christian, and they really are, Lord, we would pray you'd straighten us out, and we pray that you, bring, you would bring all of us listening to this program to be true followers of Christ. In his name we pray. Amen. Mark chapter 8, verse 34. And Jesus called to him the crowd with his disciples and said to them, If anyone would come after me, here's the definition, let him deny himself. The first definition of a follower of Christ or of a Christian is you deny yourself. Years ago, I had hair and I got a coupon for a free haircut. So I went across town to this place I'd never been. I got a lady barber. She's cutting my hair and she finds out I'm a pastor and she said, oh, um, you know, I, I, I've uh, been going to Alcoholics Anonymous. I need somebody to do my fifth step. Would you do that with me? It's where you confess your sins. I said, sure. So she comes to the office and <clears throat> she confesses her sins. She was raised Jehovah's Witness, but now she's turned from that. Now she's going to a Christian church and she's accepted Christ. Well, a few years later, she calls me back. Can I do a fifth step with you again? I said, sure. So she comes in and she, she's confessing her sins and she says, you know what, Pastor Brock? Once I accepted Christ years ago, I couldn't sleep with my boyfriend anymore. And it's not that I didn't want to, but I just couldn't do it. And she said, I've been celibate for years. I've been going to church now, this great church for years. There's an example of someone who denies herself for the sake of Christ. Contrast her with this person. Years ago, when I was still in the very liberal evangelical Lutheran Church in America, which I, in my congregation that I served, we left it because of how unbiblical that sad denomination has become. We would go to our synod convention every year and they'd try to sell homosexuality to us. This was before the homosexuals won and now we have practicing homosexual pastors in the evangelical Lutheran Church in America. But that hadn't passed quite yet. But you'd go to the conventions and here was the big table of gay literature and I'm standing over this stuff looking at it I'm just grieved. 
And the man manning the table says, have you heard about Lutherans Concerned? I said, oh yes, it was the pro-gay lobby in the ELCA. And he starts trying to sell me on the view that nothing is wrong with homosexual behavior in the church. And I was polite and I listened, but finally I said, I think you're deceived. If you think you can reconcile following Jesus and living in homosexual behavior, you're deceived. <laughs> well, that quite got the discussion going. And, well, I was born this way. I said, how do you know that? And I said, even so, we're all born in sin. That doesn't give you the license to practice it. Well, you're saying that I'm damned from birth? I said, we're all damned from birth. It's called original sin. That's why we need to come to Christ and be saved. Well, and, and I quoted this verse to him. Unless you deny yourself, you cannot be my follower. And he says, well, I am denying myself. I said, wait a minute. Are you willing to stop having sex with another man? And he said, no, God doesn't require me to do that. I said, yes, he does. And according to Mark chapter 8 here, if you're not willing to do that, you're not a follower of Christ. The definition of a Christian is you deny yourself. Now let's ask this question though. What does that mean to deny yourself? Does that mean I deny what's best for myself? Absolutely not. Horace Bushnell said this, the more a man denies himself, the more he shall receive from God. To deny yourself, you're not denying your best self-interest. It's in your best self-interest to follow Christ. Next part of the definition, Mark 8, verse 34. If anyone wants to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross. The next definition of a Christian, a Christian is willing to carry his cross. Now what does that mean? Well, back in, in the Roman days, they would always have the criminal carry his own cross to the place of execution. Then the criminal would get crucified on the cross that he carried. So to carry a cross simply means you are willing to suffer for Christ. You know, here's a woman I know in a very difficult marriage. Her husband is a piece of work. She has stuck with that guy for so many years because it's her cross. And she said, I made a vow to the God till death do we part, better or worse. She's sticking it out. You know, here's someone who um, is a missionary in a very difficult foreign mission field, but he sticks it out for the sake of, of Christ. Or here is a caregiver. She's taken care of her, her spouse for so many years. It's hard on her, but she sticks it out. Or here is a man I, I knew who ha ha fought alcoholism. But every Friday night, he would go to his AA group because he didn't want the bottle to get in, in the way of him and, and the Lord. So my point is, every Christian has something. It's called your cross. Are you willing to pick it up and suffer for Christ or not? Next part of the definition, Mark eight thirty four. Let him deny himself, take up his cross, and, next part, follow me. Here's the definition. A Christian follows Jesus, not the world. First uh, John 2.15 says, Love not the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love for the Father is not in him. So I have a Catholic friend, and his parents are very committed Catholics. They're in church a lot. They're very pro-life. And he catches them wearing a button for a pro-abortion senator. And he says, Mom and Dad, how can you do that? Well, we think he'll get better prescription rates for us seniors. 
wait a minute, Mom and Dad. We follow Christ, not the world, not who you think gets you more money. We follow Christ when we vote. Let me tell you the story of a man who followed Christ and had to fight the whole world, but he was intent on following Christ. His name was William Wilberforce. He was born in England in 1759. At age 25, he was studying the New Testament and became a Christian. He goes to his pastor, John Newton, the famous John Newton who wrote Amazing Grace. John Newton was a slave trader, gets converted and comes to Christ. And he goes to John Newton and says, I'm thinking of becoming a pastor. And John Newton says, why don't you become a member of Parliament? And so for 20 years, Newton went to Parliament and fought the slave trade in England. And after 20 years, he won. But he had the whole Parliament against him to begin with. And then his work wasn't done. Now he wants to outlaw the institution of slavery itself in England. And so for another 26 years, he fights slavery. And finally, in 1833, because of one man, William Wilberforce, Parliament banned slavery in England. There's an example of one man who refused to follow the world. I'm going to follow Christ. You know, here's my, here's a thought. A young violinist gets on stage to give his concert. He plays his first number. It's a wonderful uh, job. People applaud loudly. But they can see by his face that he's not pleased with himself. He plays number two, and it's so good. Everybody wildly applauds. Again, finally he does his, his final number. It's so good. Everybody jumps to their feet, standing ovation, applauds and applauds. But the whole time, the young man's eyes are up in the balcony. And finally, he sees an old, white-haired man nod. And his face burst with joy. He didn't care about the approval of the crowd. He just wanted the nod of his maestro. That's what a Christian is. We don't care. At least we shouldn't care. We've got to fight it. We shouldn't care too much what people think of us. We're looking for the nod of the Lord in our lives. Next part of the definition, verse 35. And he sat down and he called the twelve. Excuse me, wrong verse here. Verse 35. For whoever would save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. Next part of the definition. A Christian is willing to lose his life. Right now in North Korea, Pakistan, Afghanistan, Iraq, Iran, parts of India and Indonesia, Christians are losing their lives for Christ. This has been going on for 2,000 years. I, I had a man uh, say to me, well, Pastor Brock, I think we're living in the end times. And if persecution does come to us Christians in America, I'm not sure I wouldn't curse Christ. And I said to him, I'm not sure I wouldn't either. That's why we pray now, Lord, give me the strength, help me die for you if necessary. I mean, this was in the news recently of a man who, um, a militant Islam, uh, went into a building and took a gun and he said, are you a Muslim or are you a Christian? And if the person said, I'm a Christian, he shot him. A Christian is willing to die for Christ. Look at verse 36. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and lose his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? 
Here's the next definition. A Christian is concerned for his soul, not for gaining the world. You know, I, I remember once a man came to my office. He didn't go to our church, but he uh, was a very wealthy man who regularly attended church, and he had seen our TV show, and he says, you know, Pastor Brock, I've made a lot of money, and I'm getting old now. I'm heading for eternity. I wonder if I've kept too much. And so I said to him, well, let's talk about this. If you died right now, sir, are you sure you'd go to heaven? And, and if God said, why, would I let you in, why should I let you in heaven, what would you say? And he said, well, I hope I've been upright in my business dealings. I hope I haven't cheated anybody. And I said to him, well, can I tell you what I'd say? I'd say, God, I haven't been good. I'm a sinner. I deserve hell. But I'm trusting that Jesus died for my sins and rose from the dead. And it's only by Christ that I will be saved. And he said, oh, you're right. That's right. That's right. But, you know, here was an older man, wealthy man, who didn't want to lose his soul. That's smart. Let me give you the accomplishments of a certain person. See if you can guess who this is. This person invented the harmonica. This person invented the street lamp. This person discovered the Gulf Stream. This person originated daylight savings time. This person invented the rocking chair. This person was the first to explain the aurora borealis. This person organized the first fire department in the United States. This person, here it is, discovered the connection between lightning and electricity. Who was it? His name was Benjamin Franklin. Benjamin Franklin had a friend by the name of Ezra Stiles. He was the, Ezra Stiles was the president of Yale. And he wrote the old Benjamin Franklin, concerned about his soul, and asked, what do you believe about Jesus, Mr. Franklin? Mr. Franklin wrote this. As to Jesus of Nazareth, my opinion of whom you particularly desire, I think the system of morals and his religion the best the world has ever seen. But I apprehend it has received various corrupting changes. I have some doubts as to his divinity. In other words, he doesn't believe Jesus is God. Per, I, I, think, I do not think it necessary to busy myself with that matter now when I expect soon an opportunity to know the truth with less trouble. In other words, when I die, I'll, figure, I'll find out. Um, belief in that, his deity, if it has good consequence of making his doctrines more respected, I see nothing <coughs> wrong with that. Uh, and then he says, finally, I confide that you will not expose me to criticism by publishing any part of this letter to you. In other words, Franklin was not a Christian as we understand the biblical sense of the word Christian. And I, I read that and I thought, what does it profit a man to invent the rocking chair, the harmonica, to discover electricity and lose your soul? Warren Buffett is an agnostic, one of the wealthiest men in the United States. He has given $1.2 billion to abortion groups. So some years ago, I wrote him a letter. I'm from Omaha. He's in Omaha. Dear Mr. Buffett, you don't know me, but you probably remember Tom and Ruth Brock, my parents. When you were at the University of Omaha, he was the professor there, and they went to your wedding when you were young. And I just want to beg you, Mr. Buffett, don't use your money to send abortion around the world. We're going to have to stand before God someday and answer for what we do. Do you want that to be your legacy? 
I didn't hear back from him whether he actually ever got it. Who knows? But what does it profit a man to be a billionaire and lose your soul? So, you know, one last part of the definition is verse 38. For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Here's the last part of the definition. A Christian is unashamed of Jesus. You remember the story? I don't know if it's true, but supposedly it is. During World War II, some Nazis stormed a church on Sunday morning. And they went in front of the church in, in Europe and they said, if you're a Christian, we're going to kill you. If you're not a Christian, you can leave. Some of the people got up and left. After everyone had left except for a smaller group, the Nazis went over, bolted the doors of the church, came and put their machine guns on the table and said, tell us about Jesus. We want to hear about him from some real Christians. A Christian is someone who is unashamed of Jesus. So let me close the sermon now, and I want to ask you to test yourself. See if you're a Christian. Here's the definition. Number one, do you deny yourself? Do you say no to sin in your life? Number two, do you pick up your cross? Are you willing to suffer for Christ? Number three, are you following Jesus or the world? Number four, are you willing to even lose your life for him? Number five, are you concerned more for your eternal soul than for gaining the world? And number six, are you unashamed of Jesus? Not that you do that perfectly, we all sin in thought, word, and deed daily, but is that the direction of your life, the desire of your life, and when you blow it, do you ask for forgiveness and come back on the road? If that's you generally, normally, you're a Christian. And if not, you need to uh, come to Christ and give them all. In Jesus' name, amen. Welcome to the portion of the pastor study where we now ask Pastor Brock to share with us not only his knowledge of scripture but his insights to answer questions we have regarding the Bible, our Lord, and our everyday walk with him. If you have a biblical question or a life question that you'd like Tom to answer on a future show, I invite you to send those to our website and we'd be glad to take and try and answer your question in one of our upcoming programs. Pastor Brock, our first question for you today is, when Jesus said we should deny ourselves, deny ourselves what mm -hmm. exactly is the first mm -hmm. part of this? Yeah, and when, when he doesn't want you to deny what's best for you. Following Jesus is what's best for you, now and for eternity. He's saying deny your baser desires, your sinful desires, your lusts. And Jackie, you benefit when you do that. I mean, people who don't deny themselves die early. So when he tells you to deny yourself, he's just aiming for what's best for you. It's not our self-interest? No, our self-interest is to follow Christ. Yep. Okay. This is a question from one of our listeners. Can you live with your boyfriend or girlfriend and still be a Christian? Uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 9. I quote it a lot. Do not be deceived. Do you not know the unrighteous will not inherit the kingdom of God, neither fornicators, which is what she's doing, nor idolaters, nor adulterers, nor homosexuals, nor thieves, nor robbers, nor greedy, nor revilers will inherit the kingdom of God. Such were some of you, but you were washed, sanctified in Jesus and in the Spirit. Jackie, you can, you can fall into a sexual sin if you're living in, and, and repent and be forgiven. If you're living in the sin, 
According to 1 Corinthians 6, your soul's in trouble. Okay. You know, I don't know that I could say truthfully I would die for Christ, but I would hope mm -hmm. I could mm -hmm. <laughs> or would. Mm -hmm. What would you say to someone who thinks like that? Well, what would you suggest? Ag again, if somebody put a gun to my head right now, Jackie, and said either you curse Christ or we're going to kill you, I hope I would say, okay, I'm not cursing Christ. Boom. I hope I would do that. So I pray for that now. I pray for that strength of the Holy Spirit now because on our own, everybody would deny Christ. That's why I need the Holy Spirit. But Jackie, let's say you blow it and you deny him. Can you think of somebody who did that and was forgiven in the New Testament? Peter. Peter, three times. So I think that's, you know, the <coughs> early church was persecuted. A lot of early, church, early Christians died. I think one of the reasons the Peter story was included in, what, three of the Gospels? is so that if you blow it and you repent like Peter, there's forgiveness. Now look at what Peter did the rest of his life. He stood up for Christ the rest of his life. Early church history says Peter was crucified upside down because he didn't want to die in the same way his Lord did, but they still killed him, but he died. So, yeah. That's true. I hadn't thought about that. Yeah. <laughs> um, so is it harder for rich people to be saved? Yeah. Well, Jesus said it is easier for the camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich person to be saved. That threw the disciples because the disciples thinking back, the, actually the ancient Jewish thinking was if you're rich, it's because God is blessing you, you must really have good faith. So in their mind, he's saying even the people that have this good faith, it's going to be impossible for them to get in. And so the disciples say, well, then who will be saved? And Jesus said, for men it's impossible, but not with God. All things are possible with God. I think that's his way of saying it's impossible for anybody to be saved without the grace of God. So, yeah, rich, riches can get in your way of salvation. Um, yeah. But who classifies today as a rich person? Yeah. I mean, this you, know, you can be rich with gifts, yep. and they can come from God and consider yourself right. rich. And Jackie, I'm guessing that every person in this studio right now is rich by the standards of the New Testament days. I mean, they didn't have houses like we have. They didn't have cars. They had a little room in a, in, that they'd shared with their mother and grandmother and every. So by ancient Israelite standards, I think almost every American today would be classified as rich. <laughs> I, I, I would agree with you, and yeah. I think we sometimes just take it all for granted mm -hmm. and figure that you know, we yeah. deserve it, right. and not that we've earned it. <laughs> yeah, I know. That's what bugs it's me about the health and wealth breachers on TV. Okay. So define a Christian. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Is there a standard definition? Right. You know, I think what, what Jesus said in Mark chapter 8, the boiled down version is, you deny yourself, you take up your cross, which means you're willing to suffer for Christ, and then you follow Christ. You don't follow the world or any certain teacher or political party, or you follow Christ. That means you need to be in the Word. You need to read His Word, find out what He says. It's good to, you know, go to a good church, and but your preacher is not the person you follow, ultimately. You've got to read the Bible on your own and follow Christ. So can you be a Christian without going to church? 
Um, I wouldn't risk it. I mean, this world is a hard place to follow Christ because you got the world against you trying to follow Christ. Trying to do that all by myself, I wouldn't risk it. And, and the Bible, when people say, I don't have to go to church to be a Christian, I say, where does, where, can you show me that verse? Because in, in the New Testament, when you were a believer in Christ, you were part of his body, the church. And Hebrews 10.25, do not forsake the assembling of yourselves together, but you go to church, according to Hebrews 10.25. Okay. Let's talk about Mormons and Jehovah Witnesses. Mm -hmm. Are are they Christians or? This is where it gets. You know, I'm going to define the word cult. Do I have time? Okay, a cult is a group that says they're Christian but they're not. For instance, Jews are not cults. Buddhism is not a cult. Hinduism is not a cult because they don't claim to be Christians. A cult is a group that says they're a Christian but their doctrine denies Christian faith. And, and the groups that deny the Trinity, that deny that Jesus is God, that deny that we're saved by grace alone, the groups that do that are the Jehovah's Witnesses, the Mormons. Uh, Christian science is kind of a new, an ancient version of the New Age. The Unity Church, the Unitarian Church, those are churches to stay away from. Did they originally believe or have those, those churches, churches those, changed? No, originally, the, Charles Russell founded the Jehovah's Witnesses in the 1800s. They've always been off. Uh, Joseph Smith supposedly had a vision of the angel Moroni in, what was it, 1820? Mormonism has always been off. Mary Baker Eddy supposedly had these revelations in the 1800s founding Christian science. That group has always been off. Now, you're talking about Christian groups that are straight. The United Church of Christ? The Presbyterian Church USA, the ELCA, Lutherans, these are groups that used to be good, fairly biblical churches that have become so liberal, you almost wonder, are they Christian anymore? But I wouldn't put them in the cult category because technically they still believe in, in Christ and the creeds and the scriptures. Whether they really do or not is a whole other program. <laughs> you actually just took my whole last oh, question that, was that I was going to ask you is there are any denominations that used to be Christian but they're not anymore, yeah. and you're saying that Mormons originally were Christian? No, no, they weren't. Oh, okay. Joseph Smith founded a movement that never has always had a weird view of God. They believe in thousands of gods in Mormonism. You can become God if you're a good Mormon. Find that in the, find that in the Bible. You know? so, so when you're talking the Unitarians, and the, they've always been that way, and they never were part of a... Part of Unitarianism was founded on the belief there is no trinity. From the beginning, Unitarianism has been unchristian. Okay. Yeah. Well, Tom, we've got just 45 seconds left, and it's right now we're taping this show close to Christmas, and I guess I'd just like to wish all of our viewers a very blessed Christmas with your families, but remember that Jesus is the reason for the season, and take time to thank God for his special gift that you have available to you. And, and Jackie, because of the way we tape, you'll probably be getting that Christmas greeting in July. <laughs> but well, anyway. Have okay. a good Christmas next July. <laughs> in July, why not? And I, I listen to Christmas music all year. I love Christmas music, but God bless you. will see you again next week. Thank you for watching the Pastor Study. You can watch more of our programs at pastorstudy.org. We are on the air preaching the gospel of Christ because of our generous support of you, our viewers. Would you consider supporting our ministry? You may do so at pastorstudy.org. Or write the Pastor Study, P.O. Box 41294, Minneapolis, Minnesota 55441. May the blessing of our one triune God 
Father, Son, and Holy Spirit be with you today and always.